Our topic this week out of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 3, Rebuilding the Walls. So we picked up, uh, we're picking up after chapters 1 and chapter 2, where chapter 1, Nehemiah uh, gets message that the walls of Jerusalem still have not been rebuilt. It's been over 100 years in the building. A lot has happened in the 100 years. The temple has been rebuilt. Uh, three different uh, uh, returning of people from, Jewish people from Persia to uh, Israel has taken place, but the outer walls of the city of Jerusalem still had not been yet built. He was burdened about that. He really concerned. He spends four months praying about it, fasting, and really taking it to heart. He begins to show on his face to the point where the king, he's the king's cupbearer, and he's bringing uh, drink to the king, and the king notices that he's sad, and he asks, what's up? What, what's up? Why are you so sad? And, uh, and he shares with him after prayer, quick prayer, he shares with the king what's on his heart, which could have been tragic, but the king got moved upon the king's heart, softened him, and the king then inquired more, and Nehemiah told him his plan, and to go and uh, rebuild the walls, and how long, and how much, and how long it would take, and how much it would take, and, and ask for safe passage, and, and letters of, uh, of permission to take whatever lumber needed, from the king's forests, and the king said yes to everything. It was really miraculous. And so then Nehemiah travels to Jerusalem with an army escort, and he arrives there, and for three days he doesn't tell anyone why he's really there. He just holds it to himself, and then on the third night he secretly goes and surveys the walls and gets a full account of how bad it is, and there's, finds out there's opposition from uh, neighboring groups. And that's where then, at the end of chapter 2, it says, and so then he presented it to the people, his plan, and the need, and the walls broken down, and, and the king's blessing, and how that all took place. And they rose up and they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. And so that's where we pick up here in chapter 3, with them setting their hands to this good work. So chapter 3, verse 1 starts with Elishib, Elishib the Kohen Gadol, rose up with his brethren, the Kohenim, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, and then as far as the Tower of Hananel. Now this is very interesting that this is what Nehemiah decided to start with. You know, he could have started with any person anywhere around the wall, but this is the location he started to start with and the people that he started to start recording this chapter with. And it starts with this man, uh, El Yashabib, which means uh, God restores. I mean, how appropriate. That's what they were doing. They're restoring Jerusalem and fulfilling the commandment and the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 that a time would come when God would restore and build Jerusalem. So Daniel prophesied that like 200 or so years ago, and now they're seeing the fulfillment of that with this third decree allowing them to come back and to finish off the building of Jerusalem, starting with 70 years, or almost 100 years prior to this, with Cyrus's decree, and then later on, next, uh, well, three kings later, Darius, and now Artaxerxes uh, finishing it off with this decree to allow the restoration and building. Where prior it was just a temple and, and now full restoration. And that's what this guy's name means. God restores. God is restoring. God is fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel 9 to start that timeline of when the Messiah would come. So this gives us the date of the start of the 490-year prophecy of when the Messiah would come, when he would be immersed, when he would be uh, killed, when he'd be cut off in the midst of the week, three and a half years after his immersion, and then how long in Jerusalem the gospel would continue to spread with thousands of people and tens of thousands of people coming and accepting the Lord. And then at the end of that 490 years, the end of that final week, the gospel then going to the rest of the world with Paul and others taking it uh, across the nations. And so it all starts, that prophecy all starts, the time starts ticking with this event, and this guy's name fits right in with, with that 
word to restore and build Jerusalem, and that's what his name is. And here is where they're doing that. They're fulfilling Bible prophecy. And not only is his name significant, his position, he's the Kohen Gadol. He's the high priest. Now, let me ask you, when, when he went to yeshiva, when he went to religious school, and he studied to become the Kohen Gadol, and I don't know if they had yeshivas then to do that, but, but uh, do you think any of the classes were on uh, hanging gates and building walls? I know, I went to years and years and years of religious school and training, and, and none, of the, none of them were on uh, building gates, painting walls, uh, overseeing uh, roof permitting and dealing with the city and code enforcement and, and all the various things, carpets and all the various different things that go into having a building where we can come together and worship together as a group. I think that should be a class. I think there should be several classes on that because it certainly takes up quite a bit of time. But no, but we see here he does that anyway. It's not part of his job description as Kohen Gadol, as high priest, but he does it anyway, and his name is recorded first. So the spiritual leaders took part, went outside their comfort zone, went outside their job description to help with the building of the wall. And not only are they starting to build the wall, but they're consecrating the section that they're building. They're dedicating it to God. It's not just a wall. It's not just a city, but they're consecrating it. They're giving it over to God. They're dedicating it to God. And we as temples of God, as we as people of God, we need to consecrate ourselves. We need to consecrate this building. We need to consecrate the airwaves and, and the videos that are going out. We need to consecrate God's work, dedicate God's work, surrender God's work to him for him to get the honor and glory and praise and for him to put his seal of approval on it and for him to bless our work and to bless our hands and bless our talents and use them for his honor and glory and make them strong in him. And so not only is his name and not only his position and not only what he did in consecrating it, but then it starts with the sheep gate, which no doubt meant that's where the sheep came into the city. And why would sheep be coming into the city? There was another gate called the dung gate. And that's not where the sheep came in, that's where the gifts of the sheep went out, right? So the dung gate, you had to clean that out every so often, right? So you had a dung gate, but you had a sheep gate, and the sheep went in. And what was the purpose of the sheep going in that gate? Sacrifices in the temple, exactly. So the Messiah right here represented too, the sheep, the sacrificial sheep representing the Messiah to come. And that's the whole purpose of having the city. That's the whole purpose of having the temple. That's the whole purpose of having walls around the city to protect the city, to protect the temple, uh, to, so that God's work can continue. And so that the Messiah could come to that city. So that Messiah could be the Lamb of God, sacrificed for us. And so they built it, they consecrated, they hung doors, and they continued building. Then verse 2, and next to... Elias Shabab, Shabib, uh, the men of Jericho built. I don't know if you're familiar with the layout and demographics of, uh, or not demographics, geographics of, of, of Israel, but Jericho is not right next door to, to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Bethlehem is a whole lot closer, and Bethany and other cities a whole lot closer than Jericho. Jericho is actually way down a hill from down the mountain, Jerusalem is up a few thousand feet above sea level. Jericho is right down at the Dead Sea. It's right where the Jordan River ends, and the Jordan River ends into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is the lowest part on the earth. When they go there, when we go there with our tours, we go, there's a, a monument there. It says, you are at the lowest part of the earth, lowest point on earth, and, and we get a group picture there in front of that, and so that is the lowest, so Jericho is just right ab above there, just at the top of the Dead Sea, and so it's pretty close, if not the lowest city on earth, it's pretty close to the lowest city on earth, it's right next door to the lowest point on earth, the Dead Sea, and so you're going from there, it's a few um, thousand feet below sea level. And on this road from Jericho to Jerusalem, there are signs all along the way. Uh, if you're going from Jericho up, it, it says, uh, three, I forget how many thousand feet below, and, and now you're at 2,000 feet below, 1,000 foot below, you're at sea level, you're at 1,000 foot below, above, and, and so on until you get up to Jerusalem. And this is quite a, quite a climb. 
was there one time and saw bicyclists riding not down uphill, they were riding downhill, but no doubt going through their brakes pretty much, going downhill from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea. And, uh, and when we've driven it, you know, when you go up in a plane, right? How many of you have ever been up in a plane when you're, and your ears pop? You ever do that? You have your ears pop? Well, a similar thing happens when you go from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea because such a change in the air pressure that takes place from the outside to inside your head. Uh, but uh, since instead of going up in the air and having your ears pop, you're going downhill and you got to be very careful. If you don't cover your ears at the right point, uh, your ears will implode instead of pop and your whole head will shrink in and, and your brain will just collapse. It's, it's a very horrible event that takes place. But there is this big change in air pressure that takes place when, when you do that route. So anyway, so these people from Jericho climb this steep area to come up and help in building the walls of Jericho, of Jerusalem. So it's not directly part of Jerusalem. Yeah, it's the capital of their country, but it's not their city. And yet they came under, again, great sacrifice to do so. Especially if they're carrying their tools with them or whatever they're bringing up, their lunchbox, uh, from Jericho up to Jerusalem to come and help with the building of Jerusalem. And so they're stepping out of their comfort zone as well. They're going above and beyond what God has called of them in helping their neighbor in helping their country, in helping their, their people to be protected, to have the capital and the temple protected, they also have come and received this mention in God's word, in the books of heaven, that they helped. People, these men of Jericho, helped build the walls of Jerusalem. And there are times where God calls us to help others that are outside our regular sphere. There's sometimes in our job where we have to help outside of our job category and maybe help another company or help some other way that we're called. Maybe our boss will tell us to go do something. Or sometimes we need to help. The Bible tells us to take care of our families, but there's times where we need to be called to help outside of our family as well. And also within the family of God. We're a congregation here locally, but also God calls us to minister outside our premises at times as well as we see the people at Jericho do here. It's a good example for us in our building up of God's work here on this earth. Verse 3, also the sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate and they laid its beams and hung its doors with bolts and bars. And so Nehemiah gives little details, not only building the walls, but they had to hang gates as well and, and put bolts and bars to give it security and help. So everyone had a part, everyone had a part to play, and the various different details that go into the building of this, of this wall, of this wall around Jerusalem. And next to them, and then next to them, there's a whole bunch of verses that are next to them, next to them, next to them, and a whole bunch of names I can't pronounce. So we're not going to read all of those. Uh, and I'll probably botch up even the ones I'm trying to pronounce, but whatever. So a bunch of next to thems. And verse 5, next to them, the Tikoites, Tekoites, made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. Do you know what that means? They didn't put their shoulder to work? That means they didn't put their hands to the work either, or their feet to the work. They did not work. They did not help. And just like the men of Jericho are mentioned in God's book, in the Bible and in God's book in heaven. And the Kohen Gadol is mentioned by name and all these others mentioned by name for good and for praise and for honor. These so-called nobles, I don't know what made them so noble, but obviously they're not noble in God's eyes. They weren't noble in Nehemiah's eyes. They did not help in the work. Many others are coming forward and helping. Even again, people from Jericho are coming up and helping. And these guys are not helping. They're right there. They'll benefit from it. But for whatever reason, maybe they didn't want to get dirt under their nails. Maybe they thought it was below them to do that type of work. But Nehemiah recorded it. And now, over 2,000 years later, we are being reminded of these very people, the nobles of the Tikoites. 
Now, thankfully, some of the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles are known in infamy and no doubt recorded in God's book of heaven and will be revisited during the judgment that they did not put their hands and their shoulders to the work of the Lord when they were called upon, when they were needed. What does God's book say about us? Have there been times where God called upon us and we were not willing to do the work of the Lord? We were not willing to step out of our comfort zone? We were not willing to go above and beyond? We were not willing to work outside of our sphere? We thought it was beneath us to do certain tasks? Not part of our job description? Thankfully, there is the blood of Messiah that can cleanse and forgive as God impresses us and reveals to us when we have not redeemed the time, when we have not been a part of God's work, where we have been more of a hindrance than a help, where we have not cooperated together, have not united together in the building up of God's work, where we've treated God's work as more of a spectator sport, where we sit back and just watch or listen and that's not how God's work is I think it was last week or the week before that sometime recently I mentioned the four legs of a table of a balanced godly walk and really there are two more that really should be added I mentioned the four that I mentioned was reading the Word of God prayer not in any specific order but reading the Word of God on a daily basis personally praying individually personally on a daily basis Corporate worship, where we're reading and hearing the word of God and praying together as well, number three. And number four, witnessing, telling others, and praying with others and sharing the word of God with others. But then there were two others I didn't think of last week or whenever I shared it, and that is service. Serving. Not just in witnessing, but there's other areas of service, like building the walls. Like helping out with the filming or the music or the, all the different parts of a service or mowing the lawn or cleaning the bathrooms or vacuuming and, and or not only service within the building of the synagogue, but also in helping other members that have needs. Maybe they have a plumbing problem or something that we can help with. Maybe they need a ride, picking people up, taking them to services going out of our way sometimes to pick people up and bring them and take them home. So many different avenues of service that we can serve in ministering. Raising funds with walks for life and various different things. So many different ways that God calls us to serve. In reading and sharing and telling and witnessing and ministering. And then another point, another sixth star of the the Jewish star of God's service, of God's work, would also be in returning, tithing, offerings, giving financially to God's cause. That's also a very important balanced part. We can tie that in with obedience, basically obedience to God's word, and that kind of overrides a number of the things. God tells us not to forsake gathering together, so that's a form of obedience. He tells us to serve, that's a form of obedience. He tells us to give, that's a form of obedience. So all those kind of fall under obedience, but obedience is there as well. Maybe a seventh star, if you want to look at it that way, a seventh leg of obedience as well. Obeying his commandments, various different things, all balanced part. And we see here in this chapter today, service being an integral part. Serving with their hands, serving with their abilities and their talents, and even beyond their talents. Maybe the walls, the section of the, that the Kohen Gadol did might not be totally level or straight or whatever, but they did the best they can even without their training in carpentry. But they put their shoulders to the work and those that didn't are remembered there. And so thankfully we have the sacrifice of the Messiah to forgive us for our past lack of obedience, lack of service, lack of any one of those areas of a balanced godly walk. And thankfully, he has promised us the Holy Spirit to give us the power to live all six, seven of those various areas 
of our walk with the Lord and to live a godly life for God. Verse 8, jumping from 4 to 8 or 5 to 8, next to him, Azazel, one of the goldsmiths. He made repairs. And also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall, and the merchants made repairs. Now it mentions the broad wall. Hezekiah built that broad wall initially to protect them from the Assyrians who were coming in to attack, and thankfully they never needed it, because even though they were surrounded and siege was laid, and I guess the walls helped to keep them in siege form, but then God sent one angel to destroy all the Assyrian army. And that broad wall remained in Nehemiah's day and gets built up again. And here you can see a picture of how broad it is. It's one section. We again take our group to visit one section of the broad wall that Hezekiah built and Nehemiah's team refortified and rebuilt. And it was repaired by the perfumers. How much perfuming do you think goes into building walls? Is that an ingredient in the concrete? For the goldsmiths, how much gold do you think was placed into the wall? Or were they also stepping outside their expertise, closed their shops, closed their trade, and put their hand to the work, the merchants, the perfumers, the goldsmiths, everyone participating together. And there are times where you're called to serve where you might not have signed up for that. Might not be your week to help with Oneg, or it might not be your week to help sanitize the building or to clean up afterwards. But you know, you walk by and you see someone dropped a piece of paper on the floor or something that's out of place. You can step out of your zone and you can pick it up, right? We can do stuff that's not in our realm. You know, if a toilet's backed up, I don't necessarily know where that falls under my job description, but sometimes people seem to think it is. But we can do stuff outside of what we are gifted and talented to do and blessed to do and to unite together. I don't know how often the goldsmith and the perfumers and the merchants work together, but in this project, they came together and worked together. And to finish God's work, to build up God's wall, to fortify his faith in the earth, to take the gospel to the world, takes a united effort. Not an individual person. We're not saved as individual people. We're saved corporately because of the blood of Messiah, the family of God. We're united with the family of God. We come together in the family of God. We're born anew into the family of God. And we serve and we work and we worship together as a family of God and uniting together with others around the world, building up the walls of Jerusalem, building up his work, building up his truth and spreading the gospel and sharing the gospel. You can't do that individually. You can't take the gospel to the world individually. But corporately we can some of us have the ability to translate and translate the Bible or other things into other languages. Other people have a burden and a passion and willing to take it to other locations of the world. Other people are called to finances. Other people are called to send gifts. Other people are called to, to help in the, in the ministration of it, encouragement of it. God has called us all to work together as one body together, hands and feet and toes and Fingers all doing different tasks, but coming together as one body, working together. And just as the ear doesn't say, well, I'm not the mouth and I can't do that or this, or, and the nose and doesn't do the job of the lungs and the lungs doesn't do the job of the heart, but they're still a uniting together and a working together. If the mouth did not eat, the ears would not benefit. If the heart did not pump, the lungs would not benefit. All work together, pulling together, uniting together. In our various roles, with our various talents as goldsmiths, perfumers, merchants, Kohingadols, Kohenim, 
but then also sometimes outside of our original talents and gifts that God has blessed us with. Serving together, uniting together, putting our differences aside for God's cause and working together for him. And I'm thankful that we have a very high percentage in our family here that serve in some way, shape, or form, active in some way, shape, or form. How much more so the gospel would go to the world so much quicker if more were participating in taking the gospel to the world. You know, I think of congregations of 3,000 or 5,000 people. How many people does it take to run a service? The vast majority are just spectators. And that's not what God has called us to do. Now maybe and hopefully they are active even during the week and outside the services, as all of us should be. But we need to be active in serving the Lord in building up his walls, building up his work. Verse 9, next to them, and then verse 12, next to them, was Shalom, the leader of half the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. Right? So even back then, right, there was no sexism. Right? Everybody could participate. Everybody can help out. Everybody can work together. Everyone can play a part. Male or female, it didn't matter. There's equal place and equal needs for everyone to come together and to work together. So it mentions this man and his position as a leader and he and his daughters working together. I don't know where his wife was at the time. I don't know why she wasn't helping out, but she, she doesn't get mentioned. But the daughters, they were there pitching in together and they are mentioned as well. And so there should be no role, no place where we say, well, I can't do that because of my age or, or young or old. Or There are some things, there are some limitations, you know, with some ages and some abilities and talents. But it shouldn't be an overriding excuse to not do anything. And these ladies didn't take a pass when God needed them, when the work was needing to be done. They stepped forward and participated as well. And in verse 15, uh, Shalun, a little different name, a little different uh, spelling there, it's very similar. Shalun, a different person, repaired the wall of the Pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. Now we know where this section is because we know where the Pool of Siloam is today. And we take our groups there. And how they found that is actually kind of accidental. They thought it was a different spot. And then one day there was a water burst. There was a pipe underground. And it cracked open or burst. And water came flowing out of it. And it eroded away a bunch of the sand. And, and doing that in the earth. And as they're doing that, and they went to go and repair it. They found, hey, look at their stairs here. And those were the stairs going down into the pool of Siloam. And as they excavated, they, they have now a section of the pool of Siloam where Yeshua healed a man. And then it mentions here the stairs that go down from the city of David. Well, only in the very f recent history, they found these stairs and have begun excavating the stairs. And now they've had the whole staircase all the way down up from the Temple Mount, all the way down to the Pool of Siloam, which is quite a distance. Going all the way through the, the old city of David, the original city of David. And we are able to go in those stairs. We take our groups and we go in the stairs. We don't climb the whole thing. It's quite a steep climb up. Take the bus now, but we do go in there and we see the very stairs that are mentioned here. And this is an area where these people worked and repaired. Uh, and so he's going around the city. So he started with that sheep gate and he's going around the city next to him, next to him, next to him, next to him as he's recording the work that's being done. And Nehemiah was careful to record and know each person's name and know everything that was done and gave the details, bolts and bars and gates and walls and who's participating and who's not participating. Verse 16, And after him, Nehemiah the son of Azbek, that's a different Nehemiah than the writer of the book, he made repairs as far as the place in front of the tomb of David to the man-made pool as far as the house of the mighty. Now this, I found this very interesting because it mentions 
across, right in front of the tomb of David. Now here's a picture of what is today's the tomb of David, and we take our groups there as well. And uh, it's up on an area that's called Mount Zion. And, uh, but it's not near the Pool of Siloam. And yet we're following across the wall here to this Pool of Siloam, and then a little bit further, another couple of verses further, and then we have this area that's called, where there's this man-made pool, so if they're able to find the man-made pool, maybe they'll be able to find out where was the actual original tomb of David. I gotta most go with this traditional site in the picture here. Uh, and some even say, well, yeah, we know it's probably not the original site, but so many people have visited this site that God must have moved David from where he originally was to, to over here. Uh, but it would seem that even an amateur archaeologist might be able to, to go and, and, and find this location. That'd be interesting if someone wants to take that on. I encourage you to do that. It'd be interesting. And maybe you can find the, the house of the mighty and then track it back. Well, it was right near the house of the mighty, right by this man-made pool. Not far, there's so much distance. Figure out so many distance, so many verses from where that pool is alone and find out where the original tomb of David was and maybe still is today. I think that'd be interesting. Maybe it's sort of like a, oh, what was the guy's name? Uh, no, not uh, the amateur archeologist at uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah site and the, oh, I forget his name now. Uh, or maybe a professional archeologist. We'll go and, and look for it there and find it. Wyatt, right. Yeah, Wyatt was the amateur one who found a number of very interesting biblical sites. Ron Wyatt. And so maybe there's a Ron Wyatt in our crowd today. He was a nurse originally. Right? Maybe there's a Ron Wyatt uh, who wants to go to Jerusalem and start looking for the original tomb of David. Anesthesiologist, yes. Verse 17. And after him, the Levites, and after him, the Kohanim. So not only the Kohen Gadol and the Kohen with him at the beginning of this travel around, but also other sections, other Levites, and other Kohanim participated in the building of the wall. And that's good, and there's a balance in that. Right? There's some people that think, well, oh, the minister should do everything. You know, uh, you should open the doors and lock the doors and take out the garbage and mow the lawn and work in the roof and everything else and clean the toilets and and I've done various of those things, but that's not in my job description. And ideally, that's not best. Right? It's not the best use of the talents and gifts that God has called me to do to do that. That's where God's called us all to participate together. There are times where we should step out of that, but it's not ideal. The job is to be more like a Nehemiah and encouraging the work and encouraging people to do their work and to use their talents and use their gifts and use their abilities to delegate to function together. Kind of like, have you ever seen the Olympics? They got those long boats, long kind of canoe type boats, and they got like 21 people in them, and, and at, the, at the head, uh, I forget what it's called, maybe a scully, I think that's what it's called. Uh, at the head of it, you got a, a person there, and it's got these oars, and he's rowing. Have you seen that? And then there's 20 other people in there, and they got the blowhorns, and they're shouting at him, row, row, row. Have you ever seen that? You have? I've never seen anything like that. That'd be the most ridiculous thing in the world. <laughs> Have 20 people yelling at one guy to row? And one guy at the head rowing? He's not going to get very far. He's going to lose that race. Every time I've seen it, there's one guy with the blowhorn saying, row, row, row your boat. And the other 20 people are there rowing away. But too often in the congregations, it's the other way around. The people are there shouting, oh, did you call this person? Oh, did you visit this person? Oh, can you counsel me here? Oh, can you help me with this? Oh, do you know a doctor? Oh, do you know a lawyer? Oh, did you notice the toilet's backed up? Oh, the, the, there's a problem in the backyard and you know, the synagogue and oh, the, there's a leak here and oh, there's this and that. Why, uh, we're, you know about this singer and this person who bothered me and all these various different things. That can be done by many of the other people in the congregation as well. And so the work of God does not advance. The walls don't get built. And we got these spectator sports. 
and expecting just the paid help to do the work. But that's not how God's work has been since the beginning, and it's not what he expects, and it's not what's going to finish off the work. And in contrast, there are others that have seen just the opposite. There are ministers who've never gotten their nails dirty, never gotten, never done anything other. Well, that's not my job. I don't know. I have no idea where there's an electric outlet. I have no idea where the, where the uh, electric box is. I don't, I don't know any of that. That's not my job. And there's times where the Levites and the Kohanim and the Kohen Gadol did have to build the wall. And there's a balance of both. There's a balance of working within the ministerial field and a balance of also working with these other jobs as well. But it shouldn't be all or the other. It should be an appropriate time for one and an appropriate time for the other working together. There's no mention of Nehemiah building any part of the wall, but he certainly was very active in his work in this building of the wall. And so we need that proper balance in our congregation, through our lives, as a whole, day by day, moment by moment, year by year, and finding that proper balance of working together and uniting together. Verse 20, and after him, Baruch carefully repaired the other section. And so Baruch mentioned here, and his name means blessed. There's only three people in the Bible under this name Baruch, this guy and two others, all around the same time period. A little bit different. Uh, one of them is maybe 100 or so years before. But Baruch, blessed. And he's blessed, and it mentions him as carefully repaired a section of the wall. It gets this extra word here, this extra notation about his work. He did something a little different than the goldsmith and the perfumers and the merchants and the professional builders and the professional carpenters and the Levites and the Kohanim. He was a perfectionist, I guess, and he carefully worked on his section of the wall. And God calls us to work, not as onto ourselves and not onto uh, our bosses, but as we're working as onto the Lord. And everything we do should be done carefully, with our whole heart in it and our whole energy in it, whatever we're doing at whatever moment in time is, we're doing it. Whether we're working around our own helm or weeding at our own home or serving the Lord or helping others or at school or in studying or in our various vocations, we should do things carefully. God takes note of that. Nehemiah wrote it down and no doubt God impressed him to make sure that that's written regarding in the name, next to the name of Baruch. That he was a careful worker. That he took the walls of Jerusalem to heart. It meant something to him. It was important to him. And God's work should be important. And there's a balance there as well. You know, I think we can get gaudy and just waste money on crystal cathedrals. But God's house should not be a dump either. We should take care of it. So that it represents him and represents heaven and represents his kingdom and is pleasing to the eye and pleasing to the ear that everything works well everything's done carefully with forethought and extra devotion and consecration we should consecrate ourselves to the Lord to work and serve him and so as we look at the group in this chapter of the special names or various ones other than just their name and their section mentioned, we have religious leaders coming together. We have people from Jericho outside the city coming together. We have goldsmiths, perfumers, merchants, and no doubt others. We have men and we have women. And we have those who work carefully in building the temple of the Lord. It takes all types, all personalities coming together, working together cooperating together. And again, I'm very thankful for all that God has been able to do through this congregation and St. Petersburg and Shalom Adventure team and Jewish Heritage team and sharing God's word and getting the message out there and continuing the work and expanding the work and building the walls and building up God's work. And those outside our 
in our family here that are also working together and spreading God's truth and spreading God's word and spreading the gospel to the world. And that's good. And God sees it and God records it. And God knows. And God blesses his work that is done with a whole heart and sincere heart that's consecrated and committed to him, turned over to get him and released unto him that's done with prayer and done by the power of the Holy Spirit and under the grace and mercy of God. And may we continue forth in improving and embettering on and on and continuing on and on. We can look at them and say, well, it took them 100 years to do this. Well, we've been sitting here for 2,000 years since the sacrifice and burial and resurrection of the Messiah. And we haven't taken the gospel to the world yet. There have been times in history where we had a higher percentage of believers than we do today regarding how many people are actually in the world. We're actually moving backwards as far as taking the gospel to the world instead of forward. And I think one of the reasons, again, is a spectator type of attitude. When we used to have many more small congregations scattered in the land and everyone participating and everyone doing something, and because it was a small building, small congregations scattered all over the place, everybody had a part to play and were needed and put their hands to the work. And thus they were blessed and grew spiritually because they were doing at least that aspect as well as the other aspects of the balanced godly lifestyle. But today, we farmed it out and made it a spectator sport, even buying coliseums that were used at one time as a spectator place and just filling it with now religious spectators. And God's work has slowed down tremendously as a result. As we call it, uh, Consolidate together in masses, in large groups, in cliques, forming our own little ghettos instead of taking the gospel to the world, serving, building up. How much better for there be houses of light all around the city instead of a few big ones. McDonald's, when they get so busy in one location, they don't knock down a wall and expand it. They build another McDonald's a few blocks away so they can serve more. I think God's work would do better under that type of a model than the mega model. So God has called us to continue to team together, work together in his work. And we also read about the Tekoite nobles, so-called nobles, unnoble nobles, undeserving of that title, who did not put their hand to the work, who are not laboring together, who are not using their gifts and talents, or maybe doing part of the seven things I mentioned, a balanced, godly walk. But not all, and then it's not balanced. It's not fulfilling God's will for themselves or for the work as a whole. And God is recording that in heaven as well. And so as we look at this list, and each one has to look at it differently, because again, God's given us all different talents and gifts and Percentages of numbers of ten talents, five talents, one talent, or whatever. And God expects more. And the person with ten talents who only uses nine is just as guilty, if not more guilty, than the one who has one talent, but at least uses that one talent. And so each of us might look at this list and this chapter a little differently. Where do we fall? That's where it counts. How does it affect us? Where are we today? on this wall. If God was writing, and God is writing, your life today, this week, this month, this past year, what has been recorded there? Are you recorded as a Tekoite 
noble, not putting your shoulder to all the work that God has called you to do? Or can God say, you work carefully on what I called you to do? Can he say that you helped out even outside of areas that you were originally where you live? That you went as a missionary, either physically or with your finances or in some way, shape, or form? Or can he say that you served not only in your original talent and ability and gift, but outside of that talent and gift as well and helped? Can he say you played nice with others You work together with others, shoulder to shoulder, next to each other, working with each other, and building up God's work. Some carried stones, and some sawed wood, and some forged bolts and bars. Did you do what God has called you to do? And is your life balanced in all seven of those areas? And I'll review them again, having personal prayer times daily, personal reading of God's word, listening to God, hearing God speak to your heart and mind, corporate worship, corporately worshiping God on a weekly basis with the family of God, hearing the word of God and listening to the word of God, praying together, fellowship, getting to know others on a first name basis and talking and knowing the prayer requests and having them pray for you and getting to know one another and fellowshipping in the family of God, as a family. Witnessing, telling others about the Lord. Service, serving God in active ways. And in obedience to God's word. Not just hearers, but doers of the word of God. And so if any of those areas are lacking in your life, thankfully we have the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who's been sacrificed for us, who loves us with an everlasting love, who's called us and given himself for us, calls us most precious. And just as the people from Jericho left Jericho to come and help Jerusalem, the Messiah left heaven and came to this earth to help us, to sacrifice for us, People in Jericho, they had to leave their jobs, they had to leave their families, they had to leave their farms and come up to Jerusalem to help. It's not a one-day journey. They didn't go home at night. Or even as a one-day journey, whatever, it took all day. You couldn't, it's not an hour, it's not a commute. And Yeshua left heaven, left the adoration of angels for you and for me. And so to work on the wall is not out of obligation, It's not of trying to earn heaven. It's not out of trying to pay God back, but it's out of appreciation for what he did for us. That he left his father's side and came here to live a very tough life and to be rejected and to die for our sins. And not just in dying for our sins, not just dying three days, knowing to be resurrected, but dying with the with the willingness to die eternally if that's what was necessary. To be cut off, to be blotted out, to be accursed of God so that we could have eternal life. So we could have a place in heaven. That's what he paid. That was the price that was paid for you. You're valuable in his sight. He has done this already for us. And so in living for him, consecrating ourselves to him, dedicating ourselves to him, serving him, being obedient to him. is all just a, a demonstration of appreciation for the work that he has already done. And because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, empowering us and giving us the ability to do so and the desire to do so. And so as we prepare to pray, if any of those areas God is calling you to serve and serve maybe add another area to work outside the areas you're already airing. God's been pressing your mind and heart. Some need or you've seen some need and you're blaming someone else for not doing it. You see a need? Maybe God's calling you to fill that need then. As we come together and participate together, what is God revealing to you? 
God convicting you, there's areas where you have heard the call of God and haven't stepped up to the plate. And receive his forgiveness, receive his mercy because of the blood of the Messiah. And receive the power of the Holy Spirit to do better tonight, to do better tomorrow, to do better this next year as we move forward. What has God called you? How has he called you? Let's pray together and let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are very thankful for all those who've built up the walls here. We wouldn't be able to be here today. We wouldn't be able to preach this sermon today. We wouldn't be able to broadcast this today without all the very talented people and willing people and consecrated people. And we're very thankful for that. And we're thankful for your work in our hearts and lives. We're thankful that you gave yourself for us and thankful for the Holy Spirit that makes life possible and service for you possible. And we're thankful for the various gifts and talents that you've given to us. And we're thankful, Lord, for those who've used their gifts and talents in serving you and those who've even stepped out of their box at times and done other things for even a short period of time as you've called. And we're thankful, Lord, that you called us and allowed us to participate in your work together. And Lord, we're thankful for your blood that forgives us and cleanses us for areas when times when we've lacked, when we have not done all that you've called us to do. We're thankful for your ability to live a balanced, godly life in all those seven areas. Give us your heart, give us your spirit, and live in us and out of us. Forgive us for any areas where we haven't been fulfilling and doing or living or walking in your way. Live in us and out of us. Unite us together and move your gospel forward, which you did with 11 left disciples and then Paul and others that joined with. Lord, you can do that in us and through us. Take your gospel to the world. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.